Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another episode of Every Gay Sex. We are on episode two, season three, and you're listening to Estelle here. Yes. Hey, guys, it's Sarah. And we're going to like really just jump in because we have a really special guest with us today. My friend Janelle is here. Hello, Janelle. Hello. And this is a very exciting episode. We are diving into religion and sexuality. And I brought Janelle here. Uh, We met each other uh, volunteering at the Pride Society in town. And she has a very interesting background and a really great perspective on religion and sexuality and growing up in a religious household and, you know, discovering her sexuality, all these really cool topics. And so I invited her on and she accepted, which is crazy, but she accepted. And so we're super excited. I'm going to start with a quick bio for Janelle um, and quick pronoun check around the table. Uh, I go by she, her still. Yeah, she is fine. Janelle. She, her for me as well. Julian. Him, he. Sure. (laughs) Perfect. I just wanted to, you know, we haven't done that for a while, Stella, and it's good to do that when we have guests. So, um, all right. So, yes, everybody, listeners, welcome our guest of honor, Janelle. Janelle is a mother, wife, dog mom, and works in finance at a nonprofit. She's passionate about mental health, women's health, health, and sexual education. So, we are we have her here today to give us her perspective on her relationship between religion and sexuality and all the intricacies of that. So before we get into her side of things, just to set the table, uh, Stell and Julian and I will give a little bit of background on where we're coming from, religion and where we how we grew up kind of thing, uh, just so Janelle has an idea of where we're at um, and where what we're coming with to the conversation. So Stell, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I am a Latino, so most Latinos are Catholic or queer, something like that, which is what I am, I guess. So I personally do not identify as Catholic. I identify as like, I don't know. I don't really know what I believe in. I believe that there is a higher power really uh, out there and I'm not really sure. I'm open. I'm open to like learning about things, but I was raised very Catholic. So my family is very Latino and Hispanic. We're very Catholic. Um, My parents went to church all the time. I was in a Catholic elementary school, Catholic high school. And it was, it was very difficult for me. I kind of identifying who I was sexually because I was in like a lot of denial kind of being like, Oh, I can't be gay. Like can't be gay. Like my parents are so religious. Like how the fuck am I going to tell them? Like, this is going to ruin everything. And eventually my parents, like my parents handled it pretty well. And, you know, like eventually, like, and now they're great. They're not super religious anymore. Like they still are very Catholic, but they don't go to church as much anymore. Or maybe just like the random Christmas one when I'll go with my mom, because I know she likes that. <laughs> um, but otherwise, like, yeah, it was, it was very difficult to come out knowing my parents' religion. Uh-huh. But yeah. How about you, Sarah? Um, I am not religious at all. My family isn't religious. My immediate family's not religious at all. Never like I've been to church a handful of times with like friends or distant family. Uh and at this point now, I would say same kind of boat that I 
believe that there's something higher and a higher power. But I, when I'm, when I fill out a dating profile and it asks my um, religious affiliation, I would say uh, spiritual because I'm way more into like the meditation and the yoga and the Buddha and all that kind of stuff than any sort of um, like religion. So yeah, I'm not religious at all. So, okay. Julian. And Julian, Julian, what about you? I'm also a Catholic Latino. <clears throat> no, no, al- oh, sorry, albino. Very, very <laughs> pale in the winter. Uh, yeah, I grew up super, super Catholic. And um, my when my mother lost her both her parents within like three months in 95, I was 12, she got even more Catholic. Like we were kind of like go to church every Sunday kind of family. But then... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of to feel connected to her parents. We she got like uber Catholic, and um, yeah, but I'm zero religious now whatsoever for a long, long time. But I still interesting, interestingly enough, fun fact, uh, and a lot of us do this for some reason. I still pretend I go to church every Sunday to my mother. No way. Yeah, she thinks I go. Maybe not every Sunday, but she thinks. I go to church on a regular basis. And then, like when they visit, I have to like go scope out the local churches and pretend like I'm like a regular there. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Idea. That's crazy. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Super, right. super religious growing up, but also <clears throat> my mom. It's funny these things. She would have these hard stances on certain things, but then. When it's uh, close to home enough, that a lot of um, people overlook certain things. It's funny, like they, they latch on to certain things that are non-negotiable, but certain things that are maybe a little closer to home, they'll overlook. Uh, kind of pick and choose. That was, anyway, my experience at home. Like It was funny, uh, you know, when you start dating, you wouldn't be allowed to have sleepovers or whatever, and then that would soon, it just didn't matter, you know? It was kind of like they'd have to like bring it up that it was an issue and, and against religion, but then they would just kind of like let it be. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, so now we'll move over to our guest here. Um, tell us about your journey with religion and sexuality. Just a small topic to start. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think something that I noticed was a through line of kind of everybody's stories is just how much openness there is on the other side of like the, the buzzword around this kind of thing right now is deconstruction. So kind of the process of deconstructing the faith that you grew up with. And I think for most people that I've talked to that have done some sort of deconstruction or who never really had a, a faith uh, based in a religion in the first place, they have this openness, which to me is very beautiful because it's very new because a big um, part of the religion I grew up in was it's very fundamentalist. And so you have to know exactly where you stand on every single issue. And that's not supposed to change because it's supposed to be an objective arguable truth and it doesn't change based on culture it doesn't change based on opinion it's just this is what the bible says and the bible clearly says this um what i've learned coming out of that is the bible isn't clear about anything <laughs> like everything is negotiable or you can argue different points kind of from different perspectives and even if you just look at the history of the church like 
not that long ago, and still in some churches, women aren't allowed to speak at church. Um, not that long before that, people of color weren't allowed to speak at church. And uh, still now, people that are queer are usually not allowed to speak at church. So there's all these things where people like to say, like, oh, the Bible is very clear about, but it, it does change over time. And there are things that have changed, but they don't really teach you that. They don't really teach you a whole lot about church history or um, things like that. Anyways, I'm jumping kind of way ahead of what your question was. But yeah, mm -hmm. I guess for me, um, I grew up, I will, I will start by giving the caveat that I am no trained expert in any of this. Mm -hmm. I'm just sharing kind of what my experience was. And um, I've dived into this for quite a few years for the selfish reason of I want to um, heal these areas in myself and have kind of come into a lot of beautiful communities along the way who are trying to do the same thing. So that's where my information comes from. It might not resonate for, for you or for listeners, and that's totally okay. Take what serves you and leave what doesn't. Um, so yeah, that's my caveat to start this out with. I also wanted to say that I still have a lot of people in my life who are part of these communities and who are loving, wonderful people. Um, I still have a really good relationship with my family, despite the fact that we are on very different sides of political spectrums and where we land on a lot of religious stuff. So yeah, yeah. I just basically want to kind of start with that again, openness. Um, for me, I grew up in evangelical Christianity. So that was at the height of purity culture. I don't know if anybody has experienced purity culture or if that was a thing in Catholic religion. Um, not to that to that extent. Where, <laughs> where like there's like specific things you guys did, right? Like steps and. Well, basically, purity culture was kind of this. Um, yeah, I don't even know what the right word for it is, but it was like really big in the 90s and the early 2000s, and it was very integrated into youth groups. So for me, I went to church on Sundays and my family was like a normal level of religious, but I love a good rule, love a good roadmap for how to be a perfect person. So I was like, I am going to throw my entire being into following this list of rules. Um, so for me, I... Like I went to a Christian school, I spent all of my free time at youth group, either volunteering with younger kids or participating in activities for older kids. Eventually, I was a youth leader. I was a youth leader for probably 11 years in some capacity. I finished Christian high school that I had attended from kindergarten to grade 12, and I went on to do a missions program um, and did that for a year. So I was like fully integrated into all of this. So purity culture... Oh yeah, real, real deep, which this, I'll come back to this later, but this is part of what really... Um, bothers me when people say oh yeah those people that walk away from their faith or who deconstructed they must have never believed in the first place like right. i believed so hard <laughs> it was my entire personality um and so i think it it just became like it so many people i've talked to it's because they believed so hard that they end up realizing i can't be here anymore i can't do this anymore this is not this doesn't fit with the values that we were taught um so yeah, anyways, back to purity culture. So it was basically this whole concept of God calls us to remain pure until marriage. Um, and different people had different views on what purity culture what, or what purity meant. Um, but for me and my youth group and kind of what we were called to, it was this combination of virginity was like the ultimate thing and the ultimate gift that you had to present to someone. But it was always skewed a little bit more towards the woman needs to present it to the man. Like the pressure wasn't so much on the boys. Um, and then that was tied into centering everything around the male gaze and also acting like males had no control over themselves or their actions, which is also present in non-religious culture and um, yeah. contributes to rape culture and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, we were basically taught like Every time summer would roll around, we would all get pulled into a room with some 40-something-year-old 
well-intending woman who didn't realize she was perpetuating this misogyny, but would come and talk to us and be like, your shorts have to be this long. Your tank tops have to be four fingers wide, no cleavage, no whatever. When you go to the beach, there has to be a t-shirt over your bathing suit because God forbid a man sees your shoulder or your stomach. Um, But it was all around this topic of like, they can't control themselves. So it's your job to keep their eyes off of you. Um, Because if they are lusting, that's your fault, basically. So it was very much... Yeah. I'm gonna pause there for a sec, Julian. You have a sister, so what? What did did has any of this been similar? Like when you were being raised, was it like heavily weighted on your sister being, you know, uh, covered up, but you didn't have that pressure? Yeah, I get. Well, no, because my sisters were pretty uh, fast and loose. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for them. That's no, awesome. but they, they, they like they. It's funny. We grew up religious, but kind of rebelled quite a bit i mean we went to church as kids and teens on sundays but it kind of ended there my parents took it to a whole other level we go through phases i remember actually where we had to uh like do do the like once a month we'd say a family rosary which was always uncomfortable and would cause so many fights but so i didn't really see that 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 that, uh kind of side of religion where it's all put on the women and i not so much on the on the guys i really looked up to my sister i have four sisters and so um by the way i have a question about this have you ever been part of a virginity is cool chant or or like an abstinence is great chant or something like that thankfully i've seen videos online of like throwback to like that period you were saying and you see like all these kids like chanting like yeah, so thankfully, all of the communities I was in were already Christian, so I didn't have to do that, <laughs> but I would have at that age, so I am just thankful that uh, social media wasn't as much of a thing, but like, I was that person who, if I was talking to a friend, and they were like, I just don't know what to do, my best friend had sex with her boyfriend, I'd be like, I'll call her, I'll call her and talk okay. to her about the statistics on how, why you shouldn't have sex before you're married, and all of this stuff, and I was like, oh, so wow. passionate about this, I was that person who would be like, like, this is my cause, I need to tell people to fight against this and yeah so i i, I was, was into it too i was like when i was young i was really into it yeah like, young, like up until i don't know 12 13 maybe into into so, being a virgin no uh just religion oh yeah i really believe that just to janelle's point earlier about the you had to have at one point really believed it to deconstruct or or whatever i was really into it uh, uh i mean i remember being terrified of like <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I don't want to derail no, too much. No, that's okay. No, I, I love hearing your stories too. Feel free to continue. Well, so this is the kind of religious my mom was. She went to an event at the Moncton Coliseum, which is like 6,000 seat arena. And it was these four women from Medjugorje that would, they would have visions of the of the Virgin Mary. And like she, so that, that was the whole thing. Um, like they would just be on this stage, these four sisters, this room with 6,000 people. And then these sisters would just drop to their knees and it'd be like, oh, she's here. And they wouldn't say anything. It was just like, yeah. you could hear a pin drop. And now growing up and being like a comic and in show business, I'm like, what a scam. I'm so so jealous. <laughs> I have to work on my craft nonstop and get rejected. They just have a complete, their whole act is just dropping the, their knees in silence. And at the time I believed it. And my mom paid to go watch this thing. And cried and got her uh, a rosary um, blessed by the Virgin Mary herself, and it was. But this caused a weird reaction for me. It made me absolutely terrified of the Virgin Mary. 
Aww. I was like, <laughs> at night, I'd be in bed and like I'd keep my head under uh, uh, the covers because I just fear that I open my eyes and she'd be like right standing at the because <laughs> my mom was obsessed with these apparitions of the Virgin Mary and these pictures and this toast with the burnt like it's just all these miracles oh. in the world like that kind of side of it is is uh, wild when you deconstruct and look back on it you go unbelievable I can't believe mm-hmm. how, how uh, people uh, are really into it like deep yeah wholeheartedly yeah I have a and- Sorry, I was. I have a question, and this is because I'm not religious, and I think I've always kind of said this, and I know a lot of people probably wouldn't agree, but do people like do people cling to religion when they need something to believe in? Like, you know what I mean? When they need, like Julian, you mentioned your your grandparents passed, right? And that pushed your mother to be more religious. Like, is it kind of like, well, fuck, this is so terrible. I need to believe that there's an afterlife or I need to believe that there's a heaven because yeah. where the fuck are my parents going to go? Like, so yeah. I cling to, to, and clinging to something to have something to believe in clinging to, um, clinging isn't a great word. It's not very flattering, but, um, to belong to a community. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think it, it's both of those things. I think, um, the one thing is that like we as humans, we have evolved to want to be in the in-group, right? Like that's how we used to survive. And so we have that part of us that wants to be welcomed and seen and in the group that is the community for us. And so I think in our culture nowadays, community isn't super present anymore. And it's hard to find like your people. Um, And church offers you a great way to do that. Like that's one thing I still miss about the church is you just have um, people of different ages all around you who are kind of like mentoring each other and helping each other and supporting each other in hard times. And that's a really beautiful thing. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's the the bad outweighed the good, at least for me. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of it is looking for that belonging. And I also think it does give you a lot of answers. Like it's really scary to leave because even for me, like I have this whole new existential anxiety around death that I never had. And even just processing grief, like I lost both of my grandparents also in a very short time Um, during COVID. They both died like a week between each other. Um, And that was like, a couple years post the start of my deconstruction and it it made it so much harder because instead of being able to almost like sort of bypass the grief not that you're totally bypassing it it's still really sad but in like that oh I'm gonna see them again like this is okay this is temporary I'm sad for now but it's okay you actually have to be like I don't know 100% what happens after we die I don't know if I'm ever gonna see them again and like that loss is really hard and so I think it does like you step out of that really solid foundation of this gives me all the answers I'm looking for. If I just do what they say and believe what they say, I know the answers to everything. And which like part of that is also part of the, I don't know if hubris is the right word or like naivety or um, yeah, I don't know of the church where it's like, no, no, we've figured out all the answers, like all of those other denominations before us, all of those other religions before us. And that's something, I don't know what that's like in, in, growing up in a Catholic environment, but that's something that's also pretty specific, I think, to fundamentalism and evangelicalism is they're like, okay, no, like even out of all the Christian faiths, like they don't view Catholics as having the correct kind of faith. It's not like, okay, we believe this and they believe this different thing. It's like, oh no, they pray to saints, which is demonic. So they're not going to heaven. So it's so much like, no, it's this tiny, tiny sect of Christianity. We have it figured out. But then even between churches, there will be like, oh no, but they let women preach. So like they, they don't have it figured out. So it's It's really like, yeah, the in-group is so small (laughs) in, in this branch of Christianity, which is also just really interesting. And yeah. 
And I will say, like, in my uh, old age, I've, again, I'm zero religious, but I've, uh, you know, if ever I'm homesick or whatever, I'm missing my parents, I've gone to church around here, around Ottawa, and it, they all smell the same no mm-hmm. matter where you are. It, it's the very familiar feeling, the dark, the tint, I don't know. There, there's like, but that has nothing to do with the religion itself. That's more nostalgia of, of my childhood and maybe growing up and just that source of comfort. Cause it, none of the, it's not actual like the gospels or anything that's bringing me comfort. It's just literally the smell of the wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, see, that's something we didn't even have is that I feel like Catholic churches actually have a lot of beautiful traditions and beautiful buildings and music and like all that sort of stuff. We didn't even have that part. <laughs> right. Yeah, I went to, uh, it, it is, you can kind of see how <clears throat> they gain control over people and how they did it. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been to any great churches, like architecturally, if you've ever been to Quebec at uh, Saint-Anne-de-Beaupré, it's a huge basilica. Have you ever been there? It's mm-hmm. a Catholic thing, but uh, over a million people visit it every year of, of all religions, non-religious people, because it's just an architectural marvel. And I went the other a few months back, I was doing shows in the area and I pulled in and it was open and it's this huge building and it's makes no sense. You can't even conceive how they would build it. And I, that's how like earlier on you start to believe in, oh, there's got to be like a higher power or something that helped like this isn't possibly, uh, it's in, inhumane, like the size of it and just the uh, the details and everything. So there, I like kind of uh, architecture and all that. But again, I'm derailing. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. I was also going to touch on something that you said, which I don't know that this was the intent of Virgin Mary being scary. <laughs> but I think fear is another way that they kind of use to keep you in is there is that fear of if I step out of this, I'm losing my whole foundation. And then also just the fear of hell and the fear of demons and the fear of like all of these other things that make it really scary, especially as a kid to ever question anything because you you think that oh if i step out of this like i'm literally gonna burn forever in hell <laughs> so it doesn't yeah, give you much room I never to ever question. see anybody again yeah yeah exactly and then also like in line with that is the pressure and like i talk to so many people that come out of this specific sect of christianity and that have like really deep anxiety problems um, myself included and i i think back to being a child and feeling like oh i I need to convert all my friends. Otherwise, they're all going to go to hell. So then like sitting there crying and praying for these people I barely know because I know that they're not a Christian. Or like when I hear that someone's died, even if it was a famous person or I never had met them and they're not a Christian, I would like weep as a child because I was like, now they're going to go to hell. I didn't get to save that. And it's like so much pressure to put on children. Yeah. It's like that song, uh, Only the Good, oh no, what is it? Uh, Only the Good Die Young which has been falsely reported as meaning like religious people don't live this life because they, they hope for and, and mm. ready for a better life. Mm-hmm. So they miss out on so many things in this life. So it's like only the good die young. Turns out that's not a, at all the meaning, but yeah. that, that there is truth there. When you think about that, yeah. um, it's so true. Like they, like my, my mother and I love her. She's the best. She would do anything for anybody, but she's all of her whole life is really, just getting ready to go to heaven. Like it's just, <laughs> and it's just wild as an existence. Like and yeah, she fully believes it, but it's like, okay, let's say, let's say there's not, cause it's all like in case and acting certain ways and doing certain things. And then it's like, you're missing out or depriving yourself of certain life experiences just for this afterlife. 
mm-hmm. that uh, what is that? I mean, it's wild when you think about it. It is yeah. wild. If you really believe that this is the only kick in the can that we get, then holy shit, a lot of religious people are are not living. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah, really sad. And I think along with that, too, it makes me think of like a lot of people claim that without their Christian morals, they would be nothing and they don't understand how people like, have morals outside of that. And I'm like, I feel like it's a little bit the opposite. Like if you need the fear of hell so that you don't murder people, I feel like yeah. we don't really line up morally. <laughs> like yeah. I, I think, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. The, the way that they view it. And then the same thing as that of like, if you view your life as being kind of the in-between, like a sort of purgatory of like, well, we're all living so that we can go to heaven one day. And like what we do here matters because it affects what happens after life or death. But like, this isn't our, our only life life like we get that eternally i feel like that makes you like you said kind of miss out on the fact that we do only have life like we that's that's what we have we have to live it to the fullest and be who we want to be and yeah well yeah because there there are some negative consequences like some family members don't talk to each other over religion because of Mm -hmm. of, uh you know disagreements on core beliefs and so on so it's like that those are the examples i mean Uh, i mean if you're if you lead a good life of service and you're religious and you have faith and that's what you mean i'm not saying you're not living your life and by living your life i don't mean like go and uh just on a debaucherous run and who cares (laughs) i just mean i just mean like you know when people have such strong beliefs anchored in religion and that they cut ties with family members over Mm -hmm. their beliefs or whatnot it's so it's such a waste of life and time and for what for this because you think you're right and you're gonna get to go to this heaven place Mm -hmm. it's just uh that's what i mean so i don't want to like Obviously, my, my my mom, for example, who's very religious, has a rich life, and she sees mm-hmm. finds great joy in serving people and and helping her family, doing anything. Yeah, and, and I think that's uh, part of the hard part about like sorting all of this stuff out afterwards is that it'd be way easier if we, well, I don't know, because I could feel like that would be more traumatic. But if we came out of some sort of cult, and then we could be like, okay, everything in there was bad. Like we can just throw it all mm-hmm. out, start fresh, do some therapy, move on. Um, whereas with this, I mean, still do the therapy, but um, with this, I feel like there's still so many good things in there so it's harder to sort it out because it's not black and white where it's just like okay we're just gonna like block all that out and move forward it's like no the living a life of service is how you live a meaningful life like that's a huge part of how you find meaning in your life however like you said if you're gonna cut off your entire family because you don't align exactly in your religious beliefs you're missing out on a life with your family Mm -hmm. so yeah i think i think it's a lot of like in this conversation i feel like there's a lot of yes ands um where it's yeah it's not one or the other it's yes there was some good stuff in there and there's a lot of really problematic stuff in there and so it's important to um kind of take everything you've learned and look at it and say okay like who's whose voice is this that was telling me this where does this belief come from does this belief serve me if it doesn't we can set it aside if it does we can integrate it and that's a hard process to do and takes a lot of time i think especially if you have any trauma tied to any of that um but yeah it's an important process yeah so where do you stand then? Like, like so. I guess I, you're saying that before you're you're all this, and then now, now, what would you consider yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, like I kind of touched on at the beginning, I think the beautiful part of this journey is that I don't know for sure, but I'm okay with that because ever yeah. since I was a kid, like we would do projects in school where it's like write out and sign your entire worldview and so you'd like go through all these subtopics and like what do I believe about this and you'd sign it and that would be your worldview. Whereas right now I'm like. I think this is where I land on a lot of this stuff. 
And I don't know if I'm going to change my mind, but that's also okay. And I think that that should be the way that you approach it because why wouldn't you change your mind if you learned new information and you gained new insight from new people's stories? And like, as an example, there's a ton of stuff that I've changed my mind on from what I believed when I was younger because I heard stories about the harm that it caused with people. And I just couldn't, I'm like, okay, so we follow this Jesus who is all about um, supporting people and like standing up for the poor and standing up for that, like all of these things that we claim Jesus was. Um, But then we're treating people not that way and we're causing harm. So why wouldn't you take that and realize, oh, I, I don't believe this anymore because of the direct harm that it's causing. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, yeah. I think I've kind of landed in a place of openness where I do still believe that there is a higher power and mm-hmm. I do still often refer to them as God. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that it is like the the literal man that I grew up believing that it was. Um, And there's so many things that like, you can just see the patriarchy woven into the structure of the church where it's like, I remember growing up and being like, Oh, God doesn't really have a gender. And so we just call him he. Why? Yeah. (laughs) If you call call God, she, it's like heretical and and people would be like, Oh, that sounds a little new agey. Like, what what are you talking about? But it's like, well, if he, if they don't have a gender, why do we have to call them father? Why do we have to call them he? Why do we have to portray them as a man? Like, it's just things that I never really thought about until I stepped out of it. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Um, and it's just interesting how like Catholics would believe God has a giant swinging hammer. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Um, do you still like go to church and stuff or? I do not. Um, I, yeah, I left the church in 2018 and that was a really hard part of my process because I was so integrated into it. And I think for a while there, I was just looking for something to replace it with. So we would watch sermons online. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to find an affirming church, which they do exist. Affirming. I don't know if that language is around in non-religious culture, but it basically just means like affirming of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum um, that, that they can be Christians as well. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll find an affirming church who is passionate about anti-racism and decolonization and all of these things and listen to their sermons online. And then I still would sometimes feel myself being like, okay, but this like this still doesn't really resonate with me. And so I think I'm not closed off to it in future if I find one that has all of those things that's in town, which I don't think exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think there's so much that I still have to work through because even like I have the opposite experience as you, Julian. Like if I walk into a church, whether it be for like my niece being in a Christmas pageant and she asked me to come or like someone getting baptized or something that someone wants me to be at, I will go into the church. And as soon as I hear the music and I see the chair set up and I see the things, my whole body goes, nope. <laughs> and I just like, I don't want to be there because I just feel like, nope, there's harm being done to people. There was harm done to me. I, I don't feel comfortable here. And so yeah. I think there's still parts of me that like that truth lives in my body. Body and I need to work that out before I can yeah, go back into those spaces. So, yeah. Okay. So, so you, okay. So you, you said 2017 was when you left the church? 2018. 2018. And so now you don't go, do you, do you still watch things online? I will occasionally, I think I'm, I'm more in the, like, I like the informational side of things. So I'll find podcasts that kind of help deconstruct and help kind of make sense of stuff and process like the ex-church stuff um but then i also am very much like you had said sarah at the beginning um more into the like like i've always found god in nature and i think for me trying to be intentional in my nature walks and like be a little bit meditative and pause and like look at the trees and look at the things because to me i feel like i can't which i know people land on different sides of the spectrum on this but like i can't look at all that and feel like 
it was not intentional, like just with the beauty of it. And so for me, that's a feeling that I still have. And that's a thing that I still believe. And so that's more where I would find kind of that spiritual connection or through music. And even though it's not the same music that I would listen to before, um, which was like very explicitly Christian lyrics, now it's like just instrumental music and meditation and things like that. So I think that's kind of where I find that spirituality nowadays. And I find that that spirituality around nature and being in the trees and being by the water, I find that way more happening here in Vancouver, on Vancouver Island versus when I was living in Ottawa. Because now Mm. I'm the same way, like going out for walks feels different than it did before. Um, I don't know if that's just because nature here is so like everywhere, (laughs) like beautiful and yeah, and everywhere. But, um, but I agree with that being a big part. And it feels like all the friends in my circle align with that. Like when we're out for walks Mm -hmm. where we'll just stop and just like observe and kind of be in that space. And um, I didn't do that before, but I definitely do it out here. So Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say too, if it's okay, if we kind of steer the conversation back into the purity culture stuff, I feel like there's probably a lot more to touch on in there. I don't know if your listeners Mm -hmm. have experience with that, but in case they do. Um, But yeah, basically just the, I've kind of, highlighted what purity culture was but what that looked like for me was the conversations like I mentioned of what you were and weren't allowed to wear Um, but it was also kind of this idea of boundaries we were obsessed with boundaries but not in like a good way (laughs) we were obsessed with okay what's your line what's allowed to be touched what's not allowed to be touched what does God say is okay what's not okay and this pressure of every time you had a normal sexual thought or urge or something feeling like you're a bad person because you couldn't control your thoughts and God tells you to take every thought captive and you you're supposed to be doing this thing and and not realizing like there was all these parts of normal sexual development that were happening that I thought made me a bad person. And I think that's a part of our learning as well was just like it, it's the Bible talks a lot about and churches talk a lot about this kind of warring between our spirit and our flesh. And so it's so disembodied. And I think that's part of the healing process is getting back to that embodiment and realizing that you are a whole person, your body, your soul, your everything is a whole person because it was very much like, oh, your body's going to try to lead you astray. Your body is bad. Your body is sinful. Your soul is what you need to follow. So like you don't like you go against those fleshly desires. You go against those things when really it's like, now I understand, oh, that was all normal sexual development. That was all normal human development. Like that was all important pieces of growing up that mm-hmm. I felt I had to control because I wasn't allowed to feel them. And like I made a purity pledge when I was 16. Um, it was kind of just like a thing that everybody did only to find out later that I was one of the only people that actually was doing it because a lot of people <laughs> just have sex, feel shame about it, promise to never do it again, and then do it again, and then feel shame about it. And this cycle, whereas like, I was so afraid of getting found out all the time that like, I was just afraid to touch any of that. Um, I didn't date until after high school because we were taught like, when you kiss a boy, which it's always framed as when you kiss a boy, um, you are kissing someone else's husband unless they're your husband and like that like it was this weird like this yeah Mm -hmm. and and almost this um like as an example so they used a lot of metaphors in youth groups so one of them was they would take a rose and they would pass it around they'd be like okay everyone take a petal from the rose and then it would end up having no petals and they'd be like this is what happens when you give a piece of your body away to so many people and no one wants to marry an ugly stem is a phrase that a youth pastor actually said to me i'm (laughs) not an ugly stem right oh we do it's fine 
Yeah. But mm-hmm. then, like they've used the chewed up piece of gum of like, who would want to chew this once everybody else has chewed it? Like, that's gross. Or like <laughs> a piece of paper where it's like you're yeah. pieces of yourself. And there's this narrative that like, when you are intimate with someone, whether it's sex, whether it's touching their crotch area over the clothes, like anything, you're giving away parts of your soul and you're losing them. And it's oh. the same thing as the concept of virginity, which is a completely like it's a social construct it's not there's not like a medical exactly like what it is and like even especially i'm obviously i'm preaching to the choir i'm speaking on a queer podcast but when you look at sex it's like it's not just like man penis in woman vagina that's sex it's a whole spectrum of things it's a whole spectrum of intimacy It, it can look like whatever you want it to look like whereas for us it was just like it's like a line and it's like these steps and then this is the ultimate step and that has to be saved for your husband and the line for what you're allowed to do actually has to be way over here otherwise you're losing pieces of your soul and now looking back i'm like wow like how reductive to look at it as i've lost all these pieces of me because i kissed all these boys or i did all these things rather than look at all these experiences where i gained understanding of myself and what i like and and what turns me on what doesn't turn me on and like what what kind of a person i want to date what kind of a person i don't want to date and like i i i love my brother very much um we have landed on very different sides of the political spectrum and of the religious spectrum um he kissed his wife on his wedding day for the first time and she did the same with him neither of them had ever kissed someone before it was like that was the first time and and i'm like i i love that for them because that worked for them they've been married a long time they have lots of adorable children love that that worked for them but that was kind of the example i grew up with in my house so it was like when i would kiss my boyfriend i'd be like i'm such a shitty person because i got turned on and i got and it's like no that's so normal these are experiences that are normal and i wish that someone was there to tell me like oh yeah it's okay and like Sometimes there were experiences because I was a teenager with a not fully developed prefrontal cortex where I would do some stuff with a guy that maybe wasn't the best idea to do some stuff with. And when I say do stuff, I mean like kiss and he touched my butt. Um, but like, yeah, I know, crazy. Um, but like, I would f- just go into an absolute shame spiral for weeks after. Like, I'm going to have to sit down with my husband one day and explain this to him. How am I going to justify this? Like, so much pressure for an 18 year old who just wanted to kiss a boy. Like, yeah, it's, it's, there's just so much shame. Like, it's all just shame. The entire. Like the way that they approach sexuality, the way that they talk about morality in the frame of sexuality, it's all just shame based. And that people, right? Shame, shame helps control women's sexuality. Yeah, and one, on one of our episodes before, Julian, you had said that um, this. <laughs> you had said that when you masturbate, that it can be very fast because you grew up feeling the shame. So, okay. The topic I want to touch on here is masturbation in, in regards to purity culture and religion and all that. And if masturbating, I'm assuming is picking petals off your rose as well. (laughs) But Julian, you mentioned when you were growing up that it was shameful. And so you'd do it really quickly and get it over with, and then you'd feel gross after because you did it. Oh yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fast and shameful, the Catholic yeah. way. <laughs> that's a that's the name of my next uh, comedy album, Fast and Shameful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how they say there's a lot of premature ejaculation among men is for that reason. Is uh, you're you're condition yourself to beat off so quick and shamefully and quiet and without getting caught growing up. I mean, I think there's part of that. I mean, you don't want to be beating off in the living room when your family's watching a movie, but at the same time. Um, I don't know, not so much shame associated with it. I don't know, but and, and I don't know where that comes from because it was never taught to me that it was a shameful thing. It was just inherently shameful. 
Like I, I don't. I've never talked about. In general, though, I feel like it's it just it feels bad. Like I, I get it. Like I remember being in my bedroom and flicking the bean and being like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." But I think that's I, worth, even in like that's an interesting though. technique. <laughs> I, I, I feel like um, it, even if you were never taught that it was shameful, if you weren't taught that it wasn't shameful, you probably absorbed right. some teaching that it was shameful. Because I even like. I have a toddler and like, he's recently discovered his penis and that's great for him. <laughs> and like, we, we talk about like, Oh, we'd be gentle with it and stuff. But like, I remember as a kid, like if I was ever just like, Oh, like I'll just, I'm just exploring. I don't know what I'm doing or anything or like touching. It's like, Oh no, don't do that. And like, they push your hand away. And it's like, it's important to maybe, like you said, you don't want to be doing this in the living room in front of people. Um, but maybe just saying like, Hey, I see you're trying to explore yourself. That's really awesome. I love that you're doing that. It's your body. And as long as you feel safe to do that, like keep doing that. Um, we don't do that in front of people here because that's a, that's a private thing for you. Um, but if you want to do that in your bedroom, as long as you're being safe and gentle, like that's totally fine. Like that actually brings that intentionality of like, Oh, it's okay for me to explore myself. Even if you don't really remember those conversations, I feel like it was very much a like, don't talk about that. Don't touch yeah. it. Don't worry. And this then like, you even like in movies and stuff, if you see any sort of things and your parents are like, oh, close your eyes, don't watch that. Um, yeah. It creates that like, oh, I guess this is bad. This is shameful because there's not that open dialogue of like, hey, this is normal and this is okay. Yeah. So we had youth groups also at, during church when I used to go and we I'd be sent, like all the kids would be called out and we'd all go down to the basement of the church, which sounds weird now. But <laughs> um, and like all sit around and do like activities as like a youth because youth people, kids and stuff. And, and I remember, I just remember looking around and being like, what the heck am I doing here? And I I, I remember feel, hearing that, though, that it was just, like, never okay and that it was just shameful. And I, I did hear that, so I, I did think that. But also I was just extremely curious and very rebellious, so I didn't mm-hmm. really care. But I do remember them saying, like, that was a sin, so. I also, I feel like, um, Julian, you had sisters. I had a brother. I feel like, and Stella, well, we all have siblings and of different genders. Um, I feel like the idea of boys masturbating, way more normal. Like, you'd hear about that at school. You'd hear about that on TV or whatever. But women touching themselves now that was like even for someone like me in a non-religious household like my parents aren't sex positive at all um so we didn't talk about that but even just in the media and society i think boys boys being boys um Mm. like janelle you said boys not being able to control themselves because even in a, a public school our shorts had to be a certain length and our tank tops had to be a certain whatever so i i get that and it was based around boys being boys like boys mm-hmm. masturbating or or whatever they were doing but for women that was not talked about like for sure i don't think i heard about masturbating in women until i was like i don't know i don't know stella would you like i was at least like 13 yeah i think i, I remember i think i told you though i was a pretty early bean flicker bean flicker <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I but I remember at first feeling like weird about it, but then I just d- dove in deep. I went in deep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you leaned into it. 
I I didn't even lean. I fucking I just dove <laughs> right in. I fucking dove in head first and like I figured some shit out. <laughs> what in your thousand hours? What? You are a certifiable expert. Honestly, at this point, yeah, okay. I reached out in bean flicking by now. I I reached that expertise at like age fifteen, like <laughs> yeah, like not even like it was. I started very young, like at like I think probably like fourteen years old, thirteen years old, like that. That was you on your own finding parts of your body without any exposure to people talking about it. Like I would say for me in it, nobody was talking about it in a good way or a bad way. Nobody was talking about it at all. Mm-hmm. For 14 seems, yeah. seems older though. Like not that young. Yeah. <clears throat> like, so I think God. it was fun. And like, I, honestly, maybe it was earlier to be, to be honest. Cause I, I can't remember much of my childhood cause it was all a blur. But for a guy of like boys, it starts pretty young. Like at 14, I, I had already moved on to, to banging the space between the mattress and the box spring. I was bored of my No hand. way. <laughs> no way did you really oh yeah. yeah you would fuck the mattress and the box spring i used to, I used to use pillows when i was a kid yeah as a kid you do anything you, like you use what you got that's yeah. the, there's a there's an old uh joke from a comic that he goes if there was like a warm hole in your house just like a random hole like within like pretty quick from when you move into that house a guy will fuck that hole like either sober or you get home drunk one night it's like oh my god that's jokes okay what else where where's the let me just put you on the spot julian where's the other than the mattress and the box spring what comes to mind as a young kid of places that you got off like without like your fruit the common one like like cut a hole in, in a fruit yeah Oh, I've never done a, fr- like a watermelon fruit. No, <laughs> never done a fruit actually. Julian, uh, no, I've never done a fruit. Like, <laughs> Slide the watermelon away. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta run. Uh, <laughs> cut to me in the produce aisle, like feeling the watermelons. <laughs> and the seed, the dense density of them. <laughs> Uh, other than that, I think again, when you're a kid, you do some weird, freaky shit. The uh, I fucked the toilet seat once. No, a- you didn't. Yes, I swear to God. That's years old. I think that's the extent of it. Toilet seat, um, probably the couch cushions too. At some point, and when I say probably, I'm just softening it. But yes, absolutely, the couch. <laughs> you're you're sick as a kid, like as a young kid, and. When you're not taught about it, it's just you do it all the time. Yeah, I did it a lot. I, I feel like I even want to reframe this conversation. Is I don't think that's sick. I don't think you were a weird kid. I think that's normal. Yeah, but yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Wow, that's I, one one guy that I was talking to when I was in Australia. He had told me. I guess I asked him a similar question. Like we must have started talking about young boys masturbating wherever, and he had Great. said he used. Um, deli meat, like on either side of his hand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not food. Bologna. Like, a, yeah, like, I picture ham, but then I picture you know, you'd have to know. <laughs> mm. yeah. have- Oh my god. Anyway. I think that, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But then I thought ham because some people compare that to like vagina parts. Like, you know, like so roast like, beef, yeah. people would say. Oh, my God. Anyways. <laughs> That's all. I didn't tell you that. You what? 
someone asked me that they're, they're like what color's your roast beef down there and i was like what what recently yeah. it was a man so uh, yeah was just- oh my <laughs> goodness yeah where did you meet this fine gentleman <laughs> like, just- he is clearly not dead yeah. <laughs> it's guy that lives in the dump that tree. that is the that is the turning point i'm actually straight now because of that yeah yeah <laughs> did you answer him no i i <laughs> was like what was the answer I didn't oh. answer. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> just just curious. Yeah, just for context. Oh my god. Um, hey, I'm so sorry. I gotta run. Yeah. keep going. You guys keep rolling. Thanks for coming on. So nice to meet you, and uh, we'll you. have you on for part two. And uh, enjoy the rest of the conversation. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye, Julian. Um, okay, so Janelle, I have a note here that uh, when we talked about when and why you left the church, where so we're away from the roast beef, circling back <laughs> to religion and sexuality. Um, more. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a few more questions, less about deli meat. Um, <laughs> so when, so I have a note here for that possibly uh, reading a bit of a passage that relates to leaving the church. Can you do you want to uh, expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so quick plug for a woman that I met um, long ago when I was in the evangelical circles. Um, she was a speaker at a youth conference I was at, actually. And then she deconstructed and I followed her on Instagram and it was like around the time that I did. And so anyways, she's a an embodiment coach slash like somatic practitioner who does counseling for people that have a history of religious trauma or um, purity culture and things like that. And I guess one little other, I guess, caveat I would say as well is um, I, I talk about trauma a lot and religious trauma. And I think trauma is a word that is possibly overused now, but also I think it's important to talk about because I grew up thinking like, well, nothing crazy happened to me in my family or in the church or things like that. Like there's people with horrific stories of abuse and things that never happened to me. So I don't have trauma, but I would have these trauma responses. Um, one of them as an example being like my husband, when we were dating, loved the show game of Thrones. Cause he's a fantasy guy. Like he loves to read fantasy books and stuff. Um, but like, as most people know, game of Thrones has a lot of nudity in it. And so when I would watch with him, I would literally have to sedate myself with either like medication or alcohol because I could not sit there and watch a naked woman come on the screen while I was sitting with him without going into full body panic. Like I would, my hands would start shaking. I would like start to black out. My heart would go really, really fast. I would feel lightheaded. Like, and that's a trauma response because of what I had learned in purity culture. And I didn't know that I thought I was just like weird or broken. Um, and like all of these things where it's like these like little T traumas, I guess you can call them where it's not like one major event. And um, Gabor Mate is an author and I think like professor or researcher or something, but he talks a lot about this, how trauma is not what happened to you. It's what happens in your body when something happens to you. And so even if it's not this definable event where it's like this big abuse scandal happened and like, that's why I have all this, whatever um, it's these like years and years and years in your developmental years where you're being sent all of this messaging and your body remembers that messaging. And so when you're an adult, these things will come up and you're like, I don't know where this came from. And it's like, Oh, I know where it came from now. <laughs> like I, I know where this came from because I grew up in that. So anyways, long way to introduce her. Um, I did some sessions with her when she was doing the embodiment coaching. So um, that was really helpful. And then she wrote a book. And so this is something that I feel like 
um, captures a lot of what I feel about leaving the church and it's called your body is a revolution. Um, and it's like a page and a half long. So bear with me as I read it. But, um, yeah, I just, I re-listened to it the other day and it really captured kind of why I decided to leave the church. So, um, actually I also don't know if I said her name, her name is Tara Tang. Um, yeah. So I witnessed the ways that the church failed us through its allegiance to Trump and the radicalization of white supremacist subcultures connected to the religious right. I listened to Christian leaders promoting xenophobic rhetoric to build a wall with the intent of keeping others out rather than welcoming the refugee and the foreigner in, as we hear the scriptures say again and again. I watched as millions took to the streets to decry institutionalized racism and violence, unapologetically pleading for Black Lives to Matter, while many pastors and congregants stayed within their homes and denounced critical race theory and simultaneously uplifted thin blue stripes on their American and Canadian flags. I saw Christians legislating violence against trans children who bear the image of God in their transformation, forgetting that Jesus himself crossed all biological understanding to be both fully human and fully God, a transformation that many of us still do not understand. I listened as priests spoke of their support of the horrific Indian residential school system, declaring that some good was done in those death camps, even as thousands of unmarked graves were uncovered on church property and survivor stories revealed how the government and church worked together to take Indigenous children from their homes through forced assimilation and forced conversion. I watched as those who I had once sat in church with refused to wear masks in a pandemic to protect the immunocompromised among us when we all had been raised in Sunday school to hold the value of protecting the least of these and defend the most vulnerable among us. I watched in horror as every core value of loving our neighbor and doing good by those who harmed us was disregarded and tossed aside by those who once proclaimed the same faith as I. I realized that I could no longer align myself with such communities anymore. It was not that my values, my theology, or my worldview had changed. It was that somewhere along the line, the people who taught me my Sunday school classes were no longer embodying the values that they were teaching through sermons and flannel graphs. I could no longer find Jesus within the stained glass walls of the church. At some point, he had left to march alongside the people in their wounding, their grief, their mourning, and their cries for justice. So at some point, I followed him out the door and I left. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Is she, is she uh, the writer? Is she American? No, she's Canadian. But okay, she has. Because a lot, a lot of that was, because a lot of that was in relation to. Um, yeah like thing because I Trump came up right away in that one yes. so this was in like 2020 2021 I think that she was starting to write a lot of this so it was okay yeah the time yeah wow yeah. that is that is because I, I, I do feel like in my head I do correlate a lot of those bad things like with people who are mega religious like and I know mm-hmm. that that's not an opinion that would be you know, people who are religious with, I, I understand not everybody that's religious is also a Trump fan. Like I get yeah. that, but there is a heavy, but there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, okay. Well, so that, that, that's great. That gives another, another like, yeah. Um, deeper view on why you left. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I feel like it just kind of captured it really well. And again, like, like I said at the beginning, I know there's churches that are doing a lot of good I know there's people that have are very well intentioned but I think for me it was also like everybody kind of has their one thing I feel like that pulls at the thread (laughs) and then that unravels everything and so for me it was inclusion of queer people in the church and the views on that and like the specific situations that happened with me is um I found out that there was like a couple things that happened at the same time, but one of them was that I found out because I used to sing on the worship team at my church and there was a couple guys I was close to on the worship team as well who just all of a sudden left. And I was like, why did they leave? And then it turns out they had posted some support in pride stuff um, and they had said basically been told 
you're no longer allowed to be in a position of leadership. So you can't be up on stage playing guitar. Um, cause God forbid your guitar makes the people gay. Um, <laughs> not that they didn't actually say that, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, then they, they were allowed to stay in the congregation. They just had to step down and they were like, fuck that. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. You guys swear. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they, they stepped, they just left. Cause they were like, we're not staying here. And so that was like part of what made me be like, why, why? And then, questioning like what does the bible actually say about this stuff what is about and then it turns out like the i just as i was doing a bit of history and i'm i'm not gonna probably get all of the quotes and dates exactly right but like the word homosexuality was added to the bible in the 1950s as a method of control because people didn't want like it, it was scary to them and they didn't want um yeah so so if you look up like any of the verses where the bible actually does talk about homosexuality when it's being condemned it's never condemning like consensual sex between people of different or of non-different genders or um like it's it's not condemning any of that it's typically in the context of like oh it was the rape of temple boys or it was like these orgies between families where not everybody was able to consent or things like that like and that's what people often like they'll they'll get mad at people for trying to like oh you're just like interpreting it just to justify your beliefs and it's like well you're mm -hmm. doing the same thing and your yeah. beliefs are pretty hateful so i'm okay with it twisting it to justify my beliefs if like if we go back to the core of like who are we taught who is god and what is god and what and it's love and so if you're loving god is discriminating against this entire group of people and causing harm and causing and like trigger warning because we're talking about trauma and um like a lot of the church stuff is is really hard for people to listen to and everything so i just want to yeah um but like we're causing teens to commit suicide at insane rates um yeah. and and how do you not look at those statistics and go like, we're doing something wrong, even if I'm not yet totally comfortable with how the Bible lines up with this? Like, is it not more important? And I think that's part of the thing is like, they hold the absolute truth of the Bible above all else. And I had to get to a point where I'm like, I'm okay if I don't 100% know an immediate debate answer for every single point that people have. I know that for me, like truth feels like something in my body. And I know that for me, discriminating against this group of people and saying they can't be in the church because they don't believe the same thing, like that's bullshit. And I'm not going to stay somewhere where they believe that. So that's kind of yeah. how it happened for me. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before I get into my next question, we haven't really touched, like you're here because you have the background on religion and but we have we've so we've talked a lot about religion so far how do you identify um like sexuality wise because there is like there is a reason why right that was yes. um an important part of our conversation yeah so what's what's interesting is that the sexuality component is um what kind of drew me out of the church but at that point i didn't even fully know and understand that i am bisexual um that's not something that kind of solidified for me until a couple of years later and yeah so for me it was like that was kind of the thing that pushed me out little did i know a few years on i would be on the the town pride committee and be identifying as that myself so um yeah, so that's been like a relatively new development. And like, this is the widest I'm sharing it. So far, I have told like my husband, my best friend, a couple of other friends, and my boss, who's also my friend, <laughs> that is, like, five people that know. So now, plus however many people listen to this episode. Yes. Well, I we're happy that you feel comfortable that you can share this with us and you. you are in a safe space. So. Thank you. Yes. And I think that I said to Stel, um, 
I told her yesterday or something like, oh, Janelle's nervous about recording. Like this is a big thing and whatever. But I also think it's going to be really freeing for you to be on this platform talking about this kind of stuff and like for you like on a selfish side for you it's going to feel good to or it will feel good yeah to talk about this and um be your authentic self on a stage mm-hmm. um yeah but then also for all the people that are in the same situation as you or a similar situation that were raised very religious and are kind of thinking maybe I'm not straight maybe there's something more to keep this and hearing somebody talk like you about um that journey I think it's gonna be really inspirational to a lot of people oh thank you and I yeah I appreciate you saying this is a safe space I feel that like I don't feel nervous anymore I think for me it was just like that feeling of like oh my gosh I'm about to go on a podcast and talk about this like I've not talked about this to a lot of people but um yeah it's very it's very healing for me to be able to talk about all of this stuff because I feel like it I think as humans we're always trying to find meaning in the things that we go through and so for me I'm like if all of the stuff I like the years of therapy that I have had to have to undo all of these things from all of my years being so deeply ingrained in the church. Like if I can kind of condense that and give people a little bit of that, even if they don't have access to that same um, help, I, I think that makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and so, okay. So you identify as bisexual, but you are not, but so, and you and. are <laughs> married to a man yeah. and you yeah. have a, to a, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> heterosexual <laughs> relationship. Um, yes. And you have a, how old is your son? What's his name? Is it? He's 18 months. His name is Grayson. Grayson. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, we've never, I, we always just say your son. We don't normally yes. use his name. My toddler. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. Um, so my next question is, why is it important to recognize your sexuality now, even though you're in this comfortable heterosexual marriage? Like, why is it important for you at this point, because you yeah. and I have talked, so I'll share with the viewers, um, Janelle and I take our dogs for walk walks very often. And so we've had these, some of these conversations, but um, not you and your husband don't like, you don't plan to open the marriage or leave the marriage or um, explore too much of the side of you that might be with women. And you've never been with women before. So why is it important for you and for others in your situation to um, express your sexuality at this point? Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Um, Yeah, I feel like there's so many things I want to say and so many overlapping things that are true at once. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, we're at the point where for now, I I don't know what will happen in the future, but for now, the two of us are comfortable with it being a monogamous relationship and we are not planning on opening our marriage at all. Um, so some people I think might might ask that question of like, well, why even bother talking about the fact that you're bisexual? Like it doesn't change anything for your relationship. But mm-hmm. I think sexuality is so much more than just like who you're in a physical relationship with. Like I think there's, for me, it was kind of like reclaiming a part of me that carried so much shame. Um, yeah. And there was like so much of my childhood where I just had all the shame around these feelings thinking I was not normal, thinking I was broken, thinking there's, and like Stella, you shared a bit too about like that process of being like, something's different about me, but it doesn't fit with what I learned and what my parents think is okay. So I need to like push that down or like pretend it's not there. So I think a lot of it was just like reclaiming those parts of myself, like for those younger versions of myself. And I know we talked um, outside of the podcast a little bit about IFS, um, which is internal family systems, which we can talk about later if you want to. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, yeah, so, expand on that. Yeah, yeah. 
IFS. Yeah, so we're we're going all sorts of dec- uh, um, di- directions here, and I can go back to your original question afterwards. But yeah, IFS is internal family systems. It actually is nothing to do with your like immediate family. It's to do with um, basically the parts that are in yourself. So it's a a modality of therapy, but also just kind of a way of viewing yourself, um, where you have like your core self, and then you have all these kind of different versions of yourself. And I won't go too deep into it. You can Google it if you want. It will explain it better than I can. Um, but it's it's basically also known as parts work. So um, it's it's the work of kind of going inside and realizing that there are kind of these exile parts where like the version of you when you were younger is still in there and they mm-hmm. need to know that they're seen and safe and loved. Um, otherwise, they're going to continue to like get triggered and, and bring forth these very, very strong emotions and reactions until they know that they're safe and loved and okay. And so it's this work of like actually going into those parts and being like, Hey, like, I see you, you're safe here. You don't have to run or hide or all of these things. And so that's been like a beautiful part of the work as well in identifying as bisexual and being able to go back to those parts of like, Hey, you're not sinful. Like there's nothing, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with you. You're not broken. You're seen and you're loved. And this is a part of who you are and that's okay. And that's actually really beautiful. Um, So that, that was a big part of it. And I think, yeah, I think so much of it was just like, I, I wanted to explore that because I wanted to, again, like make some meaning of a lot of the things that happened in my Mm -hmm. life, but also just like remove some of the shame around it. And even just like talking to my husband about it rather than keeping it this thing that was like this secret thing that no one can ever find out. Um, That's important when you're saying when it comes to like, it's like about keeping it open in like your heterosexual relationship, like marriage right now. And it's like, and you're still talking about it, but it's like, it it has, I feel like you said that makes point. Like it has to do with your inner child pretty much. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's that, that, that that inner child needs to continue to know that, that it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, there's a lot of me too that, like I think being bi and like I'm I'm a I'm a baby bi. I'm new to this, so I don't know. But I think there's sometimes a bit of a stigma around being bi that it's just like lesbians that haven't fully come out yet. Yeah. Um, and I and I know that that's like some people's experiences. Like it feels a little safer sometimes to like explore bisexuality and then realize like okay, no, I am attracted to female presenting people. Um, but I I think for me it was like I didn't even know that bisexuality existed when I was young. So I I would like have these fantasies or these feelings or these whatevers or these experiences of like experiences with like childhood friends and stuff and then I would be like okay how do I make sense of this and then I would like cry in my bathroom thinking am I secretly a lesbian I'm gonna be disowned by my family like all of this stuff and then being like no but I still get turned on when I talk to boys and so like it must not be a thing so it was just like for me it was a or b it's like well I I can't be fully a lesbian because I still like these things. So I'm, I'm just going to not even explore it at all. Whereas now it's like, it just feels like this wholeness of like accepting all of these parts of like, again, the yes. And of like, yes, I, I like penis, <laughs> but I also have all these other parts of myself where I am going to accept that as well. Cause that's a part of me. And there are these other, yeah, these, yeah. Again, back to parts work, but I think just like for me going back and, hugging those childhood parts and saying like you're not broken you're actually really normal and this is actually really right. beautiful that's good I like that. so so the main kind of reason like the uh kind of focal point of why it's important to identify regardless of the relationship you're in now is the healing the inner child and you know just normalizing it in your because it is normal to to be bisexual but normalizing it in your own headspace mm-hmm. um 
Right? Yeah. And I think that answer will be different for everyone. Like I think for some people, it means a push to leave their relationship and explore other things. I think for mm-hmm. other people, it means a push to have the conversation about opening up a marriage. I think for other people or relationship or whatever it may be. Um, I think for other people, it is just that exploring of like these feelings and that removal of shame or like making jokes, even like it has become comfortable with my husband where we like make jokes about how if there's like a hot girl, it's like as as much an appeal to both of us like it's just part of just normalizing it and again like all of those little jokes that he'll make or things like that is like a healing thing to me because I'm like oh I'm seen and fully loved and this is not secret anymore so that so so you're pretty open with your husband then yeah about sexuality do you like do you talk to your family about it or um I do not and I think that's something that I also like I feel like there's so much shame tied into so many things where I also feel a little bit of shame around this where I'm like, am I not as good of an ally because I'm not publicly out and I haven't had this conversation? And I I recognize that there's a huge amount of privilege in the fact that I do have a heterosexual presenting relationship and I'm not publicly out. And so I don't face any of the discrimination that anybody else on the spectrum would. Um, So I think like that, that is true. Again, back to this yes and. Um, And for me because it doesn't affect like who I bring home for Christmas dinner or how I live my life. Um, at this point, it doesn't feel safe in my nervous system to have that discussion with my family when there's not really a great outcome. I think for me, it's something that will probably come out later in life or if ever, say for an example, one of my nieces came out or something like that, I would be like, yes, we do. Um, but I think for now, I just like my family, I, yeah, I, I will add that I love my family very much and we have a really great relationship, but there are many things we don't talk about. Um, mm. They know that I'm on the pride committee. They know that I am an affirming person, um, but we don't talk about it because it started out with when I was first exploring those ideas, it became a bit of a debate. And then I was like, this is not going anywhere. They're not going to kind of understand where I'm coming from. I no longer believe where they're coming from. Um, so it's just off the table. So I think that's kind of where we've landed. And for me, this falls into that category. And it's I like my mom and I have had a lot of really good discussions around purity culture and like what actually impacted me growing up and all of these things. And um, she's been really open to a lot of it. And we've had great discussions. Okay. Um, I, I don't really talk to my dad or my brother about any of this because like any of the sex stuff was very like taboo mm-hmm. growing up in my family. Yeah. Thankfully, not with my mom because she's a nurse and was all like I, I got zero sexual education from school other than, um, again, a little peek into purity culture. In grade yeah. seven, we did a program called Passport to Purity. <laughs> so it was like okay. where you got an actual passport and you'd like fly around to learn all these things and get stamps and whatever. And then you'd have your purity passport at the end. Yeah. And they didn't teach you shit about actual sex <laughs> or like yeah. even... I know this is even true, like outside of religious upbringings as well as like pleasure is never mentioned in sexual education ever, which again, like Sarah, you had talked earlier about um, how female masturbation was never talked about. It was like, oh, it's normal for boys. And so girls are like, am I, do I like, literally, I thought that I had a a sex addiction when I was like 13 because I was like, I touched myself and then I promised I would never do it again and then three days later I did it again so I must be addicted to person or like I must have an addictive personality and I must be addicted to masturbation so I need to pray about this because I can't do this anymore and it's like no that's so normal it's so normal and I think like yeah I'm going off on my rant here now but um pleasure is not talked about at all in in any of the sexual education it's surrounded by like these are the parts of the vagina the vulva whatever um you might label the clit at one point maybe not depending on your school um but they they never talk about like consent they never talk about um boundaries unless it's like how to keep yourself pure till marriage um they never talk about pleasure or like yeah i I think that's 
huge part that's missing, but I've now gone on a total tangent of um, sex education. But yeah, I don't talk to my parents about my sexuality to answer your question. Okay. Um, so just because I know this about you, um, and I'm, I'm sure you would share it here. So when you and your, your now husband were first dating, uh, so I'll just share this fun fact about you um, with our viewers. So you guys lived together in an apartment but you mm-hmm. couldn't tell your parents that you were living together before marriage. So you, mm-hmm. he kept renting his own apartment and you guys paid for two apartments, even though you lived in one, literally nope. just to have proof that mm-hmm. you were living separately. And that's how like, like nosy the community is. And I, I say that with like laughter and love, but it's also like People think it's their business how you decide to set your boundaries in your sexuality, which is so bizarre to me now. Like now looking back and being like, why were these adults concerned about these teenagers' choices? Like that's weird and gross. Anyways, um, like I I told, again, like to kind of different relationship with my mom and the rest of my family. I told my mom after a couple months of it, just because I wanted to be open with her. Um, I did not tell my dad. I still have not talked to my brother and my sister-in-law. I haven't talked to like a lot of the friends that I had at that time. They don't know. And like now at this point, I like, I'm not going to hide it anymore. We've been married for five years. It's like, it seems a bit ridiculous to still be like, oh no, at your house. But yeah, we did. Like we, from the time that we dated, like he was basically living with me, but he had like a couple drawers at my house but he had basically a storage locker with his bed and his other stuff but we literally like shared a dog together and I continued to hold on to this thing I'm like oh no like he has his own house he goes and sleeps there whatever um just because I was so terrified of being found out and being seen as someone who was bad because I wanted to live with my serious boyfriend at the time and yeah it was like that again like that's that shame where like I would have these reactions whenever someone would like ask me a question about it I would get this like full body like panic feeling because again like it wasn't really authentic to what truth was for me but I felt like Mm -hmm. I couldn't be honest because I'd get in trouble or I'd like whatever not realizing that as an adult you're allowed to make your own choices (laughs) but they Mm -hmm. don't make you feel that way because you're like no in this community if I'm a part of this community it's like all this pressure and I I think some people maybe didn't have the same experience as me but I think because I'm such a rule follower um I felt all of this pressure of like People are looking up to me. Young girls are looking up to me. And if they see that this is okay, they're going to use that as an excuse to make uh, like mistakes. And then I'm going to be, it was like all this pressure. And I wish I could go back to myself and just be like, it's okay to listen to the truth in your body and decide what's best for you. It's not up to you to model what someone else has told you is the correct way to live for the sake of other people. That's not how life works. (laughs) So yeah, it was a big secret for many years. Right. And so, okay. So another question that we have here that's um, in relation. So you're very open with your husband about, about your sexuality. Mm-hmm. I love that you guys are able to like joke about, you know, like you being a yeah, human, like that's, that's great. Um, so how, how has your sexuality journey affected the relationship with your husband? And then tying into that, um, you mentioned to me when we were on a walk the other day, the term sexual ethic, which I'd actually never heard mm-hmm. before. So, cause I, I think those two are tied, right? Like mm-hmm. how it's affected your current relationship and yeah. what is a sexual ethic. So you can just yeah. go into that. Sorry, yeah, so it's gonna... you hear all those horns. I can hear the horns. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like all the, oh, wait a second. <laughs> All right, so I thought it was for the war, but it's actually um, uh, Buck Trudeau ones. Oh, oh, oh I'm I'm out. Guess we're back here again. All yeah. right, 
and just Ottawa right. things. But anyways, do not go ahead. Um, yeah, I think it's been a really interesting journey like going through all the things i've been going through within the context of a monogamous marriage because it feels like like we talked about a bit with bisexuality it's like why is it important to decide what my sexual preferences are and what's okay for me sexually versus what's not okay when it doesn't actually affect my actions um but i think it's been like a really healing thing for me where like this concept of a sexual ethic so um what i mean by sexual ethic is basically like what i believe is okay versus what i believe is not okay and i think for my entire childhood teenagehood young adulthood into my marriage it was like nothing is allowed before marriage we'll give some wiggle room for the in-between stuff but for sure penetrative sex is not allowed before marriage um once you're married that's it like there's nothing that they other than like you're not allowed to like there's some shame in toys or like if you have an open marriage or things like that but other than that they don't tell you anything about marriage and so like not only does that like really screw with people's minds in a shame way if they had done anything before marriage but that also sends people into some marriages where um because consent and like what a, what pleasure is and what a full body yes feels like versus when to listen to your no because none of that is talked about like this sets the stage for like rape within a marital context which a lot of people also don't talk about um and like the amount of like sorry i'm going off on another side, side tangent rant here but like the amount of my friends that i've talked to that have had babies um and don't feel at home in their body don't feel sexual don't feel ready to engage in penetrative sex after having a baby when they get that six-week checkup clear where they're like okayed to have sex but they don't feel ready and they've told me oh i just like i just hold my breath and i just like let it happen why are you doing that why are you because we're taught you owe it to your husband you owe it to your husband to keep his eyes on you and if you're not regularly servicing your husband he's probably going to go looking elsewhere because men are saying yeah so it's like oh just like hold your breath and just like take one for the team or just whatever it's like no like why would i betray my body and what i know to be true for me and like and and side note, why wouldn't he want to only engage in sex with me if I am a full body yes? And like that's something that we had to go through in our marriage as well, or like pre-marriage. But like when we first started having sex, I felt I still had all that in my head. So I was like, I just have to be ready all the time. I just have to be good with this all the time. And like I, part of it was that I did want to all the time because it was a very new thing for me. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. Um, but but sometimes like I a position would hurt, and I would literally go like this, and just like let it happen. And then if he ever noticed, he's like, why, why are you doing that? Like, stop, we let's stop. Like, let's pull everything like back and start again or like stop entirely because like, this isn't fun for me if you're not having fun. Not only mm-hmm. if you're like not in pain, but like, if you're not having fun, I don't want to do this. And me being like, I don't understand. This does not compute. <laughs> so yeah. I think like there's, yeah, there's so much where that pleasure missing from the conversation is, is something that I've had to learn like within the context of marriage of like, oh, I'm allowed, not only am I like allowed and empowered to say no, but I'm also allowed and empowered to be like, this position's not working for me. Let's switch things up. This is better. Or touch me like this, not like this. Because for so long, I was like vi- viewing it as a performance and not that the sex was ever bad, but it was just yeah. like, I would betray my own bodies. Like I could hear what I wanted and what my body was saying or when my body was saying no. But I was like, no, sh- sh- we're just going to do this because it's yeah. what we're supposed to do. Um, and thankfully, my husband's wonderful and like helped me. I was just going to say, yeah. your husband seems extremely supportive and like very good at that. So that's nice. He was like, I don't know where he got that from because he also didn't have a sex education. But like, yeah, I think he did like or talking to or like listening to your guys's podcast on. Um, I don't remember which episode it was, but about just how typically like girls don't come in guy girl scenarios like mm-hmm. guys don't 
stop to make sure for them it's like oh i finished sex is over that is just like and and that's just what we're taught is like oh it's normal because it's like that sex is the duration that a guy has whatever but anyways again off on the side tangent um sexual ethic and why it's important in marriage i think for me it was um like i was always fed exactly what i was allowed to think was okay and what was not okay and so for me it was this process of being like okay hypothetically speaking if I were single or if we had an open relationship or whatever what do I think is okay sexually and what do I think is not okay and realizing that like again speaking on this theme of openness after deconstructing all of this like really rigid beliefs um I'm realizing that like the only things for me that are not okay are when the parties involved are not full body yeses. Like if there's any consent issues or if there's any boundaries being crossed, if there's any dehumanization, like that, that is not okay. Anything else, like morally speaking, is okay. Am I going to go join a group orgy where everyone's like, whatever? Probably not in the <laughs> next, like foreseeable future. That doesn't mean that's morally not okay. If yeah. all of those people are happy to be there, great. That's amazing. And so I think for me, that was a big thing was like actually realizing that you don't have to like this is the other thing with a lot of the people that grow up with these beliefs is like you judge everybody else for not believing the exact same thing as you i'm finally in a place where i can go like yes i i believe these things for me like this is what's currently okay in our marriage and what we've agreed to and things like that that doesn't mean that things outside of this are not okay for everyone they're just not my thing Mm -hmm. um and then also realizing like okay these things are not okay like when there is not consent or when there is not whatever like the that's the the no no list of like what I don't think is okay in any context but um yeah just that was kind of a process of like having to realize like it's it's not as clean cut as what I grew up with and I'm actually like rejecting again talking about that like bringing each thing down trying to figure out like whose voice is this and where did we um where did we learn this from and then deciding what to do with it and whether to integrate it or leave it um so yeah I I think that was a big thing for me as well as just kind of figuring out what was okay for me and uh, this is a quick question, but is your husband religious? Was he raised in the church? No, no, not he was not. He, he like went to church a few times at the Catholic church, but he was never integrated into spirituality. And an interesting thing is like he had been with other women before we met. And so I thought, oh, he's going to have all this sexual baggage because he has all these soul ties with all these other women. I'm going to have to help him sort through all of that, blah, blah, blah. Turns mm-hmm. out I was the one with all the sexual baggage because I was the one that would have like nightmares about exes and be like what if he's comparing me to them what if meanwhile he's just like happily happy to be in this physical relationship with me not thinking about any of that and like i'm there ruminating on all of this stuff and like panicking about all of this stuff and thinking i can't talk to him about any of this stuff and it it just yeah it really solidified for me that like just because you don't have the higher amount of people on your list or whatever um Mm -hmm. or the higher amount of experiences doesn't mean that you are coming at it with like a, a clean slate so to speak and it's like th- those experiences now I can view them as like those are just parts of what made him who he was and I think that it's beautiful that he had all these other relationships whereas back then I saw them all as a threat of like something that yeah. had taken away a piece of of me um and mm. I think like it's it's true for masturbation too we talked a little bit about this earlier but like for me I used to see it as like oh this is something that takes away from my relationship with my husband so why would I ever masturbate if I had a partner because that takes away from what I'm experiencing with my partner as mm-hmm. if you have an infinite or an a final finite amount of orgasms you can have in a lifetime and you're like oh I've stolen another one from my person yeah. like, no <laughs> that's not how it works sometimes life's busy sometimes you're bored sometimes you're horny sometimes you just want to because it's faster and easier like it's sometimes yeah. you just can and like that's also like that was another thing as part of the sexual ethics I'm like oh it's actually okay for us to have a sexuality that is not 
one. <laughs> like, yeah. it's okay for us and normal for us to both have our own sexuality, our own fantasies, our own desires, our own stuff. And and we share that sometimes and sometimes we don't. And that's okay. Like, that's part of our relationship. And so it's just been right. like a really freeing, open conversation with all of this stuff. I really, really like a phrase you've used a few times that I haven't heard until you said it, maybe to me on our walks or maybe today, but the full body, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that a I've lot. never heard that before. And I just love that. And I'm thinking of experiences that I had um, for sure with men, like in high school and stuff or and co- even college. I don't know if any of those were full body, yes, sexual experiences. I'm like, oh my God, I've never heard this phrase. And I'm like, most of the time it's like, I have a hard time with sex in general. So like, even though I do things, I do have sex with people like, and it's never like in a bad way, but the first time is usually not entirely a full body, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm me just because I have such a hard time with sex and like it's a personal problem that I'm working through but it's mm-hmm. more of like a body problem that I'm working through but that's why it's never yeah. a full body yes so yeah. it's like but, but it all feels right no when you say full body yes I can feel mm-hmm. what that feels like in my body like I know yeah. I don't even need to think about it I know what it feels like to be a full body yeah. yes yeah. yeah and I think I will I will add the extra layer of I think it's also to, again, I'm, I feel like a broken record, but again, with a yes and, it's important to remember that all of these things can be true at once. I think there is an element for me and I know for a lot of people where um, I think they call it responsive desire. And so like sometimes I'm an immediate no because I'm like, okay, I'm in my head. I need to do the laundry. I need to do this. And then he like grabs me and is like, let's have an afternoon quickie or whatever. And I'm like, we can't because we have blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes I actually have to go just like, just like kiss him for 30 seconds. If you still don't want to after 30 seconds, we can say no, um, which again is like if you're in a relationship where you feel empowered to say no, even after things have gotten going, like that's an important piece of that. Um, but if you still want to say no, then it's a no. If it's if it's a full body yes at that point, then keep going. So like sometimes there is a part of me where I find it hard to get into my body. I, I'm often just in my head. And so for yeah. me, I need to just like, okay, participate for like 30 seconds to a minute and then reassess. And most of the time I'm like, okay, no, this is good. But um, sometimes it is a situation of like, oh, I don't, I don't feel cozy in my body or I don't. And like, I, we've talked a little bit about mental health, not a ton, but like, um, I have anxiety and depression and like the whole, the mixture of it all. Um, and I think sometimes like when I'm feeling rather down and I'm not in my body and I'm not feeling like that, I can just be honest about this isn't a full body. Yes. For me, like I'm, I'm not feeling in my body enough to participate in this right now. And for that to be a safe landing of like, okay, like how can I show you love in other ways? Like, can we cuddle while we fall asleep? Can we do these other things? And Mm -hmm. so I think like a lot of it comes in like having that safety with someone like it's hard in in first or second or third interactions with people to like have all these conversations because they're vulnerable and they're hard um but I think yeah it's like it's important to know that some people have like there's there's a book by I think Emily Nagowski that is um I don't remember what it's called now but it's it talks about all the sexuality I think it's called come as you are um, but yeah, it, it talks about like these, um, gas pedals and brake pedals and about how people have different strengths of both. So the gas pedals, what gets you going and makes you excited. The brake pedals, like telling you what is stopping you or they're telling you like, Oh, maybe not right now. Um, not in a non-consensual way, but in a way of like, Oh, we have other things to do. Like you're not going to yeah. get it on because we're thinking of these other things or whatever. And like some people have stronger and weaker of both. And so for me, I have a, I have a strong gas pedal in that, like I have a like decently high sex drive, I guess comparatively, but I also have a really strong brake pedal. So if 
if like if I have any anxieties or any worries or things, I'd, I'll like think about it and I'll be like, no, 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 I can't. So I think yeah. there's like so many things that can be true at once. But yes, like going back to that concept of like, if you actually allow yourself the the chance to get to know what that full body yes feels like for you and trust your body to know the difference between like, okay, maybe I just need to give this a try versus no, this is not the time for me or like, this is not what I want to do right now. Um, I think you just get to know the difference between those things. Mm-hmm. Totally. Just- yes. I totally agree. No, I love that phrase. Um, I'm going to use that now. I think that'll come up in <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, and, and yeah. it's, it's also a nice, it's kind of a nicer, not that we need to be delicate uh, if we're not into it, we're not into it, but to yeah. say to our partner, especially in a comfortable relationship, uh, you know, like, Oh, I'm, I'm so attracted to you. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm thinking about groceries and I'm thinking about laundry and I'm just not a full body. Yes. Right now, but like, let's mm-hmm. check in later today. Like without being like, I'm not interested. Like, yeah, no. like, even yeah. partners would really respect that. Like, yeah, because I, like, yeah. I and also, sorry. Um, I was gonna say, I remember with Jack, which would be a fake name as you know, you've listened to, you know that, but yeah. he would say like, it's really, he's like, it doesn't feel as good for me either, unless mm-hmm. you're all the way in and enthusiastic. So doing mm-hmm. it as a service, oh, I hate that phrase, but doing it yeah. as a service or whatever to your partner is not helpful to either party because then I'm just like doing it as a chore, which is the worst. And he can feel that in his body when I'm not fully in. Yeah, I totally agree. And also what a great way to embody and show your partner as well, whoever they may be, that like they also are given the same opportunity to also be in the full body. And I think this is another thing I'll touch on really quickly is that um, another thing with kind of how we grow up in purity culture is we're taught that men want sex all the time. And women want sex, sort of, but it's mostly for making babies and servicing husbands. Like, pleasure is never talked about, as we've talked about. Um, And so for me, like, that was another really hard thing when we got into marriage is, like, even when I wasn't a full body yes, I'm like, hmm, okay, it's been two days since we've had sex. I better have sex because Mm -hmm. I have to keep his eyes on me. Otherwise, he's going to start looking elsewhere because there's all this pressure. And sometimes he would be like, I'm really tired. Or, like, I've had, like, a pretty – or, like, if he he had gone through something emotionally and he just didn't really feel up to it or things like that, I would immediately be like – he doesn't want me. He doesn't think I'm attractive. What mm-hmm. is wrong with me that this man doesn't want to have sex with me because like, am I broken? And, and all of this stuff where I put all this pressure, mm-hmm. not, not seeing him for being fully human in the same way as like, we need to be seen as fully human where it's not this like, and again, this applies more to those in man, woman relationships, obviously. But I think like there, there was also that reductive view of like men want it all the time. Women don't want it. And so for him, he, I didn't give him the chance to talk about his full body. Yes, either mm-hmm. until I had figured all of this out because yeah, I, I just expected he should be good to go all the time. And it was something where like, this was a process of like softening for my view of me and my view of him, which has made our sex life even better because now we're both a full body. Yes. And that mm-hmm. is a very different experience than when one of you is trying to go through the motions to appease the other person, because that's not like a fully present embodied experience. Yeah, totally agree. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I think it makes a huge difference in, in any relationship, uh, even a casual fling. It is only really good for everyone when everyone is fully um, present. Mm-hmm. So, yes. um, so we're, wow, we've, we're an hour and a half in, we are like, yeah. the conversation is rolling. I love it. We've got, <laughs> I knew, I knew this episode would be so full. Um, I have two more questions. So this kind of steers away from the sexuality part of it, but you and I have talked about this on walks and I, I really loved what you said about it. So I wanted it to be shared here. What teachings are important to you when you're raising your son oh, in, in the space of okay. like, like 
I, we've talked a little bit about gender mm. and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. So go ahead. I think, um, I think it's again, just been that process of like wading through the stuff from my childhood and picking out what was helpful and leaving what wasn't. Um, I think there's some values that I learned in the church that I do want to instill. Like we've talked about being of service. Like I know that that's a value in other spaces as well, like AA and other places, like that is how you find meaning in life. And and that's something that I want to instill. Um, but I think for him, like I, I want his worldview to be so much more open than mine was. And even in the language that we use of like, Oh, you're you and your future wife one day, it's like, maybe it'll be a husband. Maybe it won't be a husband or a wife. Maybe they won't be with someone like all of these things. And, and like, not, not putting these um, confinements on them when they're just tiny humans trying to figure out what being a human is. And I think kids naturally are so intuitive and so open and we put all this shit on them that closes yeah. their mind as they grow up. And so I think for him, like it's little things of like playing like what is considered girly music for him or giving him a doll, which he loves so much because it makes this little laughing sound. He gets so excited when he gets to see it and things like that. And like, but also being okay with the fact that he really does love trucks and diggers and all these things that I'm like, Oh guys, that's not my, my thing, but that's fine. Um, but just like leaving it open for him to kind of like decide what his interests are, decide what his likes are and not putting all of this stuff on him that we, I think our culture does without even realizing it when they're so young. And um, I think, yeah, like same with the religion stuff is like teaching him those values. And as he gets older, teaching him like what my experience was and, and what I've had to realize too, is like, that means that I also have to be okay. If he sees my parents' religion and goes, Oh, I want to be part of that. I actually need to be like, okay, I experienced harm and I will warn you about like these things, but you do that if you want to do that. And yeah. just like realizing that we can't put all of these things on our kids. And obviously it comes from a place of love because you want them to have a better experience than you had and be safer than you were. And all of these things that like, they have to be allowed to make their own choices and their own mistakes and their own, um, create their own journey. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just like, for me, when I, when I really picture it, I don't have like a list or anything, which I normally do. It's surprising for me, but for me, it's just like an openness of him getting to decide who he is because like, he's such a beautiful person already. And I just need to yeah. get out of his way and make space for that rather than putting all these things on him. That's amazing. I love that. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. Wow. No, I love that. I, and that's why, that's why I wanted you to be here is because your perspective, I keep using the word perspective, but on religion and sexuality and then being married, but being bisexual, not, but being married and being bisexual and then having a young child who you're raising and breaking down the um, barriers that you grew up with. And that's a, you're, you're doing big work, like even like raising the next generation. That's, that's huge. So thank you for raising him in a way that is going to create a space that we all want to be living in. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's so kind. And I feel like it, it doesn't feel that way yet because it's like, it's all in all the tiny moments or even like, even just practicing consent with him where like, if, Mm -hmm. if a grandma is trying to go in for kisses and I can see he's uncomfortable, we step in and set the boundary of like, Oh no, thanks grandma. We don't want kisses right now. Do you want to do a high five instead? Do you want to wave, wave? Do you want to do, and allowing him to see like, Oh, it's okay. Cause I remember that even as a child, like I think so many, especially women, um, when you're a child, you're taught to not take up space. You're taught to make sure everybody else is comfortable. You're taught to betray yourself to make sure that specifically men, but everybody is comfortable in the room. And so for me, that looked like, Oh, kiss this uncle 
or do this thing. And like my parents, again, like I, I look back on a lens of so much love for them and an understanding that they did the best that they could with what they had. Um, and even for them, they were like so far from what their parents were like. Um, but for me now I'm like, no, I'm going to do this very differently and give him the empowerment to understand that like he, he gets to choose and he, he has autonomy over his body at this age. And also we respect other people's autonomy of like, Oh, mama doesn't want you to stick your snotty finger in her mouth or um, this kid doesn't want you to touch them right now. So let's give them space. Um, or especially cause like I've got two dogs, one needs a little bit more boundaries. So I'm like, Oh, Arlo doesn't like touches. We just wave for Arlo. Timber likes touches. Go touch Timber. Um, so I think, I think just, yeah, like modeling consent for him in every scenario so that he just grows up with it being something he doesn't have to be taught in high school. It's something that he just knows. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Okay. Thank you very much. That's a, re- a very like great answer. Thank you. Um, you. The last thing we have here, um, which we like to ask any guests that we have on is please like share a final thought. Like we just, we're an hour and 35 minutes in. We've said so much and we've, we've shared like so much and, and I'm so excited about this episode being released. It's going to be so important to a lot of people. Um, what, what, when you like, just what would be your final thought that you want to leave with our listeners, especially around um, just breaking down religion and and tr- that kind mm-hmm. of trauma and and being open with your sexuality mm-hmm. um oh my gosh i want to say so many things i'll try to keep it a little bit quick and I, I will also like give credit with um the author that i had mentioned earlier a lot of these are ideas that came from our coaching sessions and so they're um originally like things that she had told me as well but i think the the core of it is like no matter what you've been told your body is good and truth feels like something in your body and you can trust that truth. And so many institutions, whether it be churches or culture or whatever, they teach you to be embodied and to separate and to not trust your intuition and to not trust your body and not trust all of these things. And it's like, no, like you, you know, what's right for you and just like practice, practice leaning into those full body yeses and practice gathering the courage to say no when you know it's a no and that doesn't have to just be in sexual context that can also be like when you're talking to someone they're like oh can you help with this thing and you just know like you don't have the capacity for it but being a people pleaser myself I know oftentimes you're like yeah yes Mm -hmm. um but taking a pause and going no I really appreciate that you asked me but no and no is a full sentence you don't have to yeah I I feel like oh because of this and because of this it's like no you like trust yourself and you're let your yeses be yes and your no's be no Mm -hmm. um yeah I think that's one thing and also if there's anybody who is at the stage that I was at back in 2018 where that thread kind of started getting pulled just know like it's so scary because it feels like everything's going to come tumbling down around you and sometimes certain things do like sometimes you lose some community sometimes you lose the safety of the worldview that you had especially if someone in your life dies and what do you do with that and all of this stuff and there's just so many more questions and answers but I promise it's so beautiful on the other side of it um like find your people find your community and remember to trust yourself again at the core of it of like lead, lead where you are, go where your body's leading because yeah, it, it'll be a beautiful journey. Nice. Wow. That, that is inspiring. Yes. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. Wow. Like this was a really fulfilling episode for all of us. And I hope that you're leaving this feeling. Like you mentioned at one point that your bisexuality is something you've only shared with maybe like five or six people. And now it could be five or 600, uh, depending on <laughs> who listens. So um, I know there's going to be so many people that relate and 
um, find a lot of value in everything you've shared with us today. So thank you, including myself. I learned a lot in this session as well. So, um, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for listening to the podcast and, um, sharing and being so open. It's sometimes hard, like Stella and I do it every week. So we're used to, you know, all of it, but, uh, so, but yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Um, Stella, anything from you before we close off? I think you touched a lot of topics here that I think I'm still going to be thinking about when I leave this podcast, but I, I really, really, it's really nice to see. Obviously I didn't know you before, like when you were very religious and stuff and, but it's nice to see this part of you because you seem very happy with what the Aww. progress that you've made. So oh, I'm really you. proud of you. You're really and, me cry. <laughs> but seriously, I'm, I'm very proud of you and you should feel very good about where you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I will just echo the thank you back to you both because I feel safe being vulnerable here because I've heard you two be vulnerable on this podcast. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, I often think I'm like, well, I'm not an expert. So why am I talking to people like I am? Like, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, it feels like. But it's also like there's so much power in just sharing your own experiences because 100%. sometimes people go through the same things and they feel alone. And that's so much of like, as humans, we just want to feel seen and heard and loved. And like, like we have people that have been through the same thing. So if that helps yeah. anybody, then it's worth it. Even if it helps one person, then it's worth yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Stella and I didn't think we had really anything to share when we started doing this either. And then we've got people saying, oh, you helped me come out to my parents and like yeah, huge life huge. things. So even That's though you crazy. think like you don't need to be a like classified subject matter expert or a celebrity yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like I work in finance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. With any of this stuff. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and then, sorry. And just the last thing, when we first met, uh, on our first board meeting for the Pride Society, you had said to me after everybody left, you when it was just you and I, and I think um, Kasaya, you said, uh, yeah, to be honest, like, I, d- I didn't think I was queer enough to be here. And I mm-hmm. that's that was when you said that that was the moment that I said to myself, you're going to be on this podcast, because that, like, that that was when I was like, no, she has something to say here. Because what like, what does that even mean queer enough to yeah. be on the Pride? Mm-hmm. Because, like, because you're you're only you know, and I'm, I'm doing yeah. air quotes for people that are only yeah. listening, like to be only bisexual, that's not mm-hmm. clear enough to be, you know, representing yeah. a lot of people. So no, I'm, I'm Which glad I think that- also, like, that's a stigma for bi folks as well, is that they oftentimes like they, they don't feel straight enough for the straight community, but they don't yeah. feel queer enough for the queer community. So they don't really know where to go. And like, even just telling people like, that's okay too. Like, it's okay to, to just, and, and I think too, like for myself, like I, I have had sexual experiences with friends that were girls when I was younger and I didn't know how to make sense of them until I was older but like some people have never had a sexual experience with a girl that doesn't mean you're not bi that doesn't mean that you don't also have this as a part of you and have this attraction and have this whatever like it can look like however you want it to look like and I think that's part of that stepping out of those boxes and that's the whole point of like it's it's open (laughs) it's a whole open world and like you can decide again like listen to your body what feels true for you yeah Thank you. That's amazing. Well, we'll wrap it up there. This might be our longest episode we've ever done. Uh, Sorry, I talked so much. (laughs) No, and you and I, I feel like it was, it was very, very well centered. And like Julian said, we'll probably need to do a part two because I feel like we could have expanded more on everything. So uh, yeah, maybe later on in this season or next season, we will 
uh, have to have you back and have. I a, would love that. I feel like there's so many body things we didn't even get to touch on. Like, a, yeah, I would yeah. love to talk more about so many things. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you for being here. Stella, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Um, tune in next week and every Wednesday for new episodes. And thank you all for coming. Bye. Thank you. All right. Uh, woo.